I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Hello and welcome to Film Chat, a podcast all about a group of cocky men with guns, plus one normal woman. The men deliver quips and murder each other in an escalating series of incomprehensible double crosses and bluffs, while the woman just kind of hangs out. Oh, um, excuse me, that's uh, that's not a summary of the podcast. That's a description of the 2006 film Lucky Number Slevin. Oh, what a film. Um, one of the greats uh, of the last 15 years. This is actually a podcast in which we talk about and review films. I'm Sam Foster, and this is my self-assured, wisecracking podcast buddy, Danny Moran. Hello. On this episode of Film Chat, I catch up with Sam and ask him what he thought of Catch Me Daddy. We follow it with a view of It Follows, and I tackle what my mother informs me is the second best, best exotic Marigold Hotel film the second best exotic Marigold Hotel. All this and a little else. Actually, it was quite a lot. Yeah, it's a Don't lot undersell else. it. It's coming. Films, 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 lots of films, 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 films. He's good films, bad films, fun films, sad films, films we love, weird films, Lars von Trier films, old films, new lots of correspondence about It Follows, um, which we will discuss when we discuss the film. Certainly. This letter from James. Dear FC, what the hell is the deal with CGI? What is the justification for his existence? I've been bemoaning... <laughs> sorry, just so angry from the off. I've been bemoaning this for much of my adult life, but it seems to me that once upon a time, animation was about creating bizarre and intriguing alter- alternative worlds. CGI all too often just seemed like ironically two-dimensional reflection of our pre-existing reality usually about the individual stylization of hand-drawn cartoons, the comic simplicity of puppetry, or the charming lo-fi glitchiness of stop-motion. Sure, this isn't always the case. Sometimes it can enhance the reality, like in Wall-E, for example. But I'd say in 90% of the cases, it just serves as a kind of dumbed-down, plastic version of the everyday, or just for facilitating animals to talk, or cars. There are loads of great CGI movies, but I would argue that this is usually that this usually has very little to do with the animation itself, just great scripts. Yeah. It seems to me like privatisation in the world of animation, driving maximum profits while stripping out of any discernible personality or individuality. Turning Thunderbirds into CGI is the ultimate example of this. Please help me. 
He adds, I should add that this is my understanding that it doesn't actually save that much money or time, although this is poorly researched. Um, so quite a long and angry letter from so I James. Think James is concentrating on uh, like films which are entirely CGI, right? That's yeah. what he means. Rather than just uses of CGI in, in films. Because the, the new Thunderbirds... Is this an ITV show, right? Yeah. And they're redoing Thunderbirds, um, but instead of puppets, it's going to be CGI now um, because puppets are so, you know, 60s and passe. Kids don't like puppets. They hate puppets. And uh, James hates them. James. <laughs> I know. I, I know he's uh, talking about, like... When like, it the... seems really unnecessary. It does it can look kind of tacky and cheap. Yeah. Um, like the, the recent Postman Pat film. But I don't know. I mean, my, my general view is that it's just a tool like any other. And I think that... Sometimes they have a, they sort of default to it because it's like the new cool thing. Like you have to, you know, like other kinds of animation are boring or something. So that's why you have to do it. I have yeah. no idea if it's cheaper or quicker to do. I wonder if, uh, you know, we've got a slightly roasted view of animation just because you just never hear about the shit ones. And it just seemed like just non, every Disney film was a classic. Yeah. One off the other. Yeah. But I there's think... probably like loads of 2D animations that I've never seen the light of a day since their release. Yeah. I think it's just, uh, it's just a business model, right? Kids want to see movies. They just make churn them out. I don't know. Yeah. I think like the the sort of trend which um like close to that kind of soulless corporate thing that James is uh, talking about is 3D, which is definitely a kind of business model decision to just like slap 3D on a film. Maybe yeah. slightly fading now because it's no longer like a hot new thing. But for a while, it was every movie you go to see it also in 3D and it would just look like awful and it would cost twice as much and the film would be dark and it's just like horrendous. You know, the, the new Thunderbirds does look terrible, but I think that's probably because it's just quite badly done. Yeah. Um, and a, a perception that it's, that puppets are uncool. Kids don't want to see them. Puppets are cool, man. In this age of iPads, do kids want to see puppets? That's a question. It was, was, but was it the puppets that made Thunderbirds good or was it? storytelling was it the great and scripts? the characters yeah the incredible scripts I don't know I don't really remember it that what well. I would like is you know how the in the old Thunderbirds they were puppets and then occasionally when there's a close up it just cut to like a human hand yeah. opening a drawer yeah I think in the CGI one that should do the same thing when it cuts to a close up <laughs> it's just like a 2D animated hand oh that's a good idea Oh, I thought and then when it's an extreme sorry, close up I thought it would still be a real human hand <laughs> that's even better <laughs> alright all right, well, sorry, James. I don't think we've really alleviated your, pr- your concerns. concerns because I haven't really helped you, but... but we'll, we'll, we'll work on it. We'll work on it. Jake Hoskins has got back in touch with us. Um, long-time listener, frequent correspondent. <laughs> Jake says, Hey, guys, tried to get you on Bebo, but it seems to have been turned into some sort of horrible emoji app instead of my number one go-to social media platform. When did this happen? Anyway, I just wanted to say... It Follows is apparently absolutely terrifying and really good, but I just don't think I like horror films. So It Follows <laughs> that I probably shouldn't bother going to see it, right? Or is this the film to change my mind? I did like that Spanish film about the orphanage where there are all these ghost kids from an orphanage and they talked to this living kid whose parents had moved into the old orphanage. I think it was called The Ghost Kids Who Could Speak to a Living Kid and Made Him Go Into a Cave. Well, uh, I think if you like The Orphanage, you'll like It Follows. I think that... Uh, the thing is, with horror films, there's a lot of really shitty genre, like, lazy films out there that are boring, but there are horror films which are just good films. Yeah. You know? Um, I wouldn't consider myself a sort of horror aficionado. Like, the tropes of horror not drawing me to the cinema, but there are films that are horror films that I like. 
Oh yeah, and uh, by the way, you guys now can, for real, get in touch with us on Bebo. Uh, Katie, what's our Bebo address? At filmchat. Bebo.com at filmchat slash facebook.com. <laughs> right, not that last bit. And, you'll be and talking to me. You'll be mainly talking to Katie. I'm, I don't I haven't even been on, been on it, but... Yeah. But, but I'll be soon becoming very active on it. <laughs> the Bebo community is quite closely knit, so we could become the giant... We'll be like the Stephen Fry of Bebo. Yeah. Um, except funnier. Sir Ramsden has written in to ask, what's the best ever action sequence in a film? You know, Go. I, I asked her to uh, write in. I just um, leaned out of my window and just called her name. <laughs> like, in a sort of like, really anguished way. Stella! <laughs> yeah, I just leaned on the fire escape and just like, yelled it out. So it's nice to see she got in touch. Best action sequence in a film. I was had a little think about this. One action sequence recently that really blew me away, or several, is basically almost anything that happens in The Raid. Have you seen The Raid? Yeah, The Raid was great. It's really good. And there was one bit in it. This doesn't happen a lot in movies, in my experience. But I was in the cinema, and there was one action sequence which was like so incredible that at the end, like half the cinema just burst into applause. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was this kind of like really, really sort of dramatic like propulsive kind of building and building and uh and then it reaches this climactic moment this sort of really epic moment and then everyone just started applauding i was like wow this is pretty exciting yeah um, so that was great. good what do you think Tang? probably the, the kind of obvious choice i mean the uh, car chase in the french connection oh yeah that is really good and it's like you yeah. always hear about it it's like it's so good and you're like really and you watch it like shit it's like it really someone playing up. grand theft auto really well yeah. And just avoiding hitting the pedestrians. Yeah, and it was like illegally shot, so they almost killed like a bunch of people doing it. <laughs> Has that edge of uh, almost edge murder. Of genuine <laughs> threat of death to innocence. What are you, Katie? Uh, the, the fight scene in the hotel in The Elephant King. There's like a steady cam shot for 10 minutes. What is, what is this arty film that Katie's seen? <laughs> See if I can try to undercut the host. I've seen shit you've been heard of. Films we haven't, what is this film? The Elephant King? Yeah, it's. I think it, it's, it's Thai. It's the guy who did Ong Bat. Oh, Tony oh, Jaa. Yeah. He keeps kneeing people in the face. He, that's what he does. That's, that's, his, that's, that's their thing. And the steady cam Knees guy, and elbows. Like, it starts wobbling because this guy has to run up the stairs with him. It's a one shot. Cool. cool. That sounds pretty Very good. Cool. Yeah, okay. I've, seen, I've seen Ong Bat. That's got some quite good action in it. Yeah. I would also mention the exciting corridor action sequence in Old Boy, where he takes on a bunch of random thugs, and that's also all one shot. It's pretty cool. Also Iron Monkey. That's an amazing film. Yeah. But what about like non-martial arts? I guess there's the uh, French Connection. Uh, um, the General? Does that count? The entirety of The General? Buster Keaton's The General? <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. I don't know. Is it an action sequence? Like him versus some wood on the tracks? I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Um, I really like the fight scene in Eastern Promises. It's like the only good bit in that movie. Yeah, that is great. Especially because he's naked. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, what do you think, listeners? Let us know what your favourite... Write in and let us know. Bebo us at bebo.com at filmchat. So final bit of correspondence. Chris uh, asks, a large part of my enjoyment of It Follows comes from the score, which got me thinking, are there any really terrible film scores or scenes in films where the music just ruins it? Or can you pretty much bank on a film score being fine? I want answers. He wants answers, Sam. You better give it to him. You know what Chris gets like. <laughs> he gets he very get, anxious. He gets and, very anxious. And upset. So, I don't know. I mean, I wasn't... Well, was yeah. Film. It's because it's hard to think of a... So for, a, a, a lot of, of films, good... you, you, you hate the score and you hate the film as well. Yeah, exactly. There's not all the movies where you're like, I love the movie, but the score is really intrusive and annoying. One that springs to mind is Goldeneye, which has this hilariously dated experimental 90s score from by Eric Serra, who did The Fifth Element, this French composer. 
it's probably got it's probably more famous for being in the Nintendo game as well. But like the opening Bond theme, instead of being cool brass, is like this weird drum machine and like synth noises. Yeah, and it's probably you know he's really pushing the envelope at the time, but like pretty much dated it. And like two weeks after making that score, is like Jesus, what was that about? More recently, Fifty Shades of Grey has because it has all these sex scenes. It's got this kind of repetitive thing of like having a sexy song kick in every time the sex scene begins. Yeah. And that sort of really ramps up the general levels of campness and like silliness, you know. There's some kind of soul song that starts playing it like, oh, it's, like, <laughs> it's, it's hot now. I think in general, often when sex scenes start, the score takes a turn for the worse, you know. There's definitely uh, just a trend in modern films of the sort of soundtrack which just feels like someone's itunes playlist has been dropped into the movie that's a like, good point like watchmen yeah is... I, re- I found watchmen's uh, soundtrack really annoying just like the uh all the like famous really bad sex scene to it's hallelujah, uh, hallelujah it's yeah leonard cohen's hallelujah while um patrick wilson and, uh, <laughs> uh malin ackerman Malin right ackerman? yeah malin ackerman or whatever you say. yeah they're, they're having sex in his airship <laughs> the sort of uh, the sexiest man alive leonard cohen yeah he's he strips well, out of I his heard <laughs> there was a secret core he's like stripping out of his like owl suits in his like owl shaped airship and uh they start but making hot love and there's a sort of really mid shot of like his like naked bum <laughs> Sorry, I was trying to underscore the we scene. Were, it was like a radio play version with the narrator. Yeah. And then the moment of climax, he uh, sort of brushes against like a button on his <laughs> airship console and there's like a jet of flame. Burst yeah, he presses the, the orgasm button. He presses the, the orgasm <laughs> button and it goes, Ugh! and then like a jet of flame explodes. That's t- it's really bad. Yeah. Okay, well, so yes, that's settled. Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> It's so we're so good at the segues. Superhero films announced, casting rumors leaking out. M. Night film is hated. Paul Thomas Anderson's is fated. Meryl Streep's Oscar tipped. Matt Damon's in a viral vid. Michael Bay's made a mint. That's the news that's been to print. So, um, news that broke this week. Do you know about the Magnificent Seven remake? I don't really. I haven't been. Uh, the, well, they're I remaking think I was vaguely it. Vaguely aware of it, but. They're remaking it. Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day and most recently The Equalizer, mm-hmm. is directing it. Uh, the script is by Nick Pizzolatto of True Detective oh, fame. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's starring Denzel Washington and Chris Pratt. And now Ethan Hawke has signed on, making it a slight Training Day reunion. Okay. I don't know. So they got if, three. They got three of the Magnificent Seven. three of the Magnificent Seven. Let's four make more the, right, the other four of them women. Yeah, man. Come on, film industry. Let's see it. Let's do it. Get the four Ghostbuster women. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Like, I don't really care about the original Magnificent Seven enough to be bothered or excited by this. Maybe <laughs> this is a great news item. <laughs> maybe uh, part of the reason this isn't that exciting is because the original Magnificent Seven has this cool seventies, you know, 60s. all these like sorry sixties. This cool sixties like acting legends cowboy thing, which is cool now. But I think these days the idea of you know finding the seven coolest male actors in Hollywood and having them in a film where they will be cool all the time is not necessarily that exciting, you know. There's yeah. too many movies where cool men just like hang out and shoot people, and uh, which they might intro reference Lucky Number Eleven, which is just so boring, <laughs> and is the entire film is literally a series of like hard men looking at each other, saying quips and killing each other. So I read the story and it occurred to me that Antoine Fuqua has already made The Magnificent Seven because he made the 2004 King Arthur, which is kind of like... Did he? Yeah, with Clive Owen. Remember was, that movie? I thought it was Guy, Guy Ritchie. 
Is no, he? he's making the he's new... making the new one. Yeah. So that was Anton Fuqua. Anton Fuqua, weird one, yeah. The weird one, which sort of was like a sort of seven samurai. Like they'd made the knights at a round table, like all these sort of they've all got different personalities. You're right. You're right. It is a lot like that. And they band it together. Yeah. So he's had his he's eye a... on this property for a while. Yeah. He's like, yeah, he's just trying to make it in sort of 12th century Britain with, uh, yeah. with some Romans. And they're also making kind of Netflix play. comedy called something like The Ridiculous Six yeah. with Adam Sandler. I think they are. Oh yeah. Yeah. Magnificent Seven, Ridiculous Six, Hateful Eight. Hateful Eight. You're right. There's all these like number group of. It's number the Illuminati. What's going on? <laughs> Yeah. We need um, five downwards, right? Uh, who, who's going to make the... Uh, the Famous Five movie. The Famous Five. <laughs> <laughs> We've got to see the Famous Five movie. Let's go. Yeah. Yeah. Get Joe Wright on it. Go, yeah, to make the Famous Five movie. Andy Serkis will play Timmy the dog. He can play all five. Why? <laughs> and, and, the, and the dog. And the other four. <laughs> Whatever, Fuqua. Good Whatever, luck. Fuqua. Good luck. Yeah. You know, actually, because <laughs> I looked up the... I haven't seen King Arthur since the cinema. I remember it being shit. Even classic. when I was 14, I was that's like, a, this is shit. That's a classic film. But the cast is bizarrely starry, like the knights. It's like Ray Winston. Joel Edgerton is one of the knights. Oh, yeah. Uh, Hugh Dancy. Mad Mickelson is one of the knights. Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, Ray Stevenson from Rome. All these people who's who's the, who's stars. Who plays the sort of Saxon villain? Uh, Stellan Skarsgård. Because he's got the best line in the movie, which is when he... Uh... <laughs> sort of encounters uh, I don't know he has a chat with King Arthur and they say sort of badass stuff to him and then like at the end he walks away and says finally a man worth killing <laughs> which all implies like a hilarious part where he just like just murdering just murdering people and being oh. like you're not even worth but I'm gonna kill you oh. doesn't it kind of suggest what? that he's barely killed anyone <laughs> like, he's practically a pacifist he just hasn't found a man worthy of it more nymphomaniac there one of his lines from Nymphomaniac. Nymphomaniac. <laughs> you remember that movie so well. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Yeah, I saw it the other day. Okay, I have more news. In other remake, sequel-esque news, they are doing a Blade Runner sequel officially <gasps> with um, Denis Villeneuve in uh, Talks to Direct, the uh, French director of Prisoners and most recently Enemy. And Harrison Ford has confirmed that he's back. <gasps> he's revisiting all his old properties. Yep. Um, he did Indiana Jones and now he's back in Blade I can't Blade. wait for Mosquito Coast 2. That's going to be the big one for me. That's and it's, that's going to be huge. I want to see Witness 2. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's going to be see something really else. <laughs> 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 he's got he's to go hide in a different old community. <laughs> Where can he go? What's the modern equivalent of an Amish community? I don't know. No. How many got to go like hide out in like Greenwich Village? He's like a grouchy old man. He's got to like. He's got to go to Williamsburg or something. Yeah. Like, hang out with the hipsters. <laughs> the hipsters have to hide him. Anyway, so that. <laughs> so I find that idea quite funny. That movie um, isn't happening, but the Blade Runner sequel is, and uh, a lot of the people who are on the original film are working on this one. Wow. They're going to start shooting it in 2016. Turns out some of the people who worked on the original Blade Runner have quite amusing names, which makes reading this uh, news story extra fun. Okay. The, uh, <laughs> the original was uh, co-written by a guy called Hampton Fancher. He's working on this one again. <laughs> 
and the producer Bud Yorkin is back as well. Brilliant. Um, Bonnie Yorkin. And uh, uh, someone who I assume is a relative called Cynthia Sykes Yorkin. Um, so that's very exciting. If you put those names in the actual film, people will be like, come on now. Too uh, silly. Yeah. It's like um, Slevin Clavera, the <laughs> main character in Lucky Number Slevin. A lot of just, I'm going to be referencing that film a lot. It's really a classic. You excited for Blade Runner 2? Uh, I really have no view on it. I mean, I'm not. Like, <laughs> we sound super different about this. Is slow news week, people? Come on, I mean, this is big news for someone. Yeah, I don't know. The, the original Blade Runner is pretty good. I'm like, this might we might lose like half of our listeners now, but I don't really get Blade Runner. That's it. I just heard like, you know, everyone just switching all, all, all seven of them just switch right. I don't really get it. It's just so people just wandering about. It's raining. It goes to talk. It's just like it's so long. <laughs> you know what I mean? And nothing happens till like right at the end. But it's got all that atmosphere, you know. It's all oh god, who gives a shit? You know, like it's that beautiful cityscape, wonderful sci-fi. Is vision. he a robot? Isn't he a robot? I mean, who really gives a shit? You know, like <laughs> there's no plot. Well, he's investigating, isn't he? I don't remember that. Clearly, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's good. It does have. I do like that speech at the end. He made it up for a good hour. Yeah, but the reason I like that is because it sounds like he's reading out the blurb to some awful <laughs> like fantasy film he picked up at a second-hand bookshop. But yeah. Somehow it's this incredible like moment of dramatic power. Anyway, so that's coming. You look forward to that in 2016 sometime. I might be looking forward to it. I, I will. Care. My favourite film stars Bridget Bardo. She's the queen and she wants to be in radio. So she starts a podcast with her friends and the terrorists try to stop but she beats them in the end. Okay, Danny, I'm just to remember what happens uh, with the review section after the news, and then I realised it follows. It follows. How apt, because we will be reviewing It Follows right now. So, It Follows is a horror movie about a sexually transmitted demon, might be the best way of putting it. Yeah. The film is about a girl who has sex with her boyfriend, and her boyfriend then reveals to her that he's passed on this demon, yeah. which will follow her unless she has sex with someone else and passes it on. Yeah, it's like a, it's like a sort of stalking, invisible monster. Only the person who has the disease or the you know curse can see it, and it just walks towards you at a very sedate pace. And if it catches you, it uh, tears you limb from limb. Precisely. And uh, it takes various different forms, whatever looks creepy at the moment. Um, yeah, and the film basically charts this character and how she and her group of friends try and sort of combat this Yeah, they're trying to deal with it. Without taking the cow's way out, which what her boyfriend did is try and pass on to somebody else. Yeah. And Although, the thing, the thing is, like, uh, that didn't make total sense to me because he explains, when he is sort of doing the, like, demon exposition bit, he explains that if the demon kills you, it will then come after him, right? Yeah. He's just putting it, like, one person down the chain. Yeah, that's all you can do. That's all you can do, but it seems, like, pretty ineffective, right, to sleep with someone else. You have to sleep with someone and then say, please go and sleep with someone else now, and yeah. then get them to do the same, you know, and, and, and so on and so, so, and so forth. forth. I've got to put a big barrier between me. Find your slightest friend who has a lot of slight friends. Yeah, exactly. Et cetera, et cetera. Anyway. Yeah, it's a kind of, like, 80s, making kind of 80s horror movie now, right? It's like kind of Halloween. Uh, yeah, it's very Street. John Carpenter inflicted, especially in the score, which is brilliant. By this guy called Disaster Piece, very sort of, <laughs> which is a great name. Disaster Piece, fantastic name. I wish the film was called. It's that. very uh, dread inspiring uh, synth laden score, and every time this sort of motif of the main theme comes, I'll be like, "Oh Jesus Christ, something's going to happen. Someone's going to follow somebody." Yeah. 
Um, but it's really very good. I'm not a huge horror aficionado. What I liked about it is that it sets up its rules and sticks to it. Yeah, I really, I really like that. And because a lot of horror movies, uh, they just have like some sort of weird curse and it's just bad, and then just like weird, just whatever the scriptwriter could think was the craziest thing that could happen happens. You know. Yeah, I think and, uh, it's much more interesting to see the creativity behind having this set series of rules and seeing what they did with it. Precisely. What I liked about it, this might be bad reviewing because I like what, how it is different to bad horror films in that um, a problem with most uh, horror films is that the movie is just designed to scare you and the story and characters are just fitted around some yeah. set pieces. Yeah, yeah. Whereas this, it felt like the characters were really driving the story. Yeah. And another problem with horror films I find is often the victim of the curse or the serial killer or whatever the menacing force is because they're a victim, they become sort of passive and it's a bit hard to engage with them. But from the off, uh, the main character and their group of friends are trying to actively deal with the situation. Yeah, they're, so they're you can coming sort of, up with kind of schemes to yeah, get around Yeah, so you can engage stuff. with them. The main actress, Megan Monroe, is really good because it's like a real uh, hard... Because basically you have to be like fucking terrified the whole movie. Yeah. And you have to portray this incredibly extreme emotion constantly without it becoming repetitive or so crazy, just completely disengaged from it. She does like a really good job of doing that. And so does the movie. Yeah, I mean, Her Group of Friends is slightly bland, but they're... They're bland, but they're not sort of snarky, cynical, pop culture, yeah. annoying. Like, I think I think post-Scream, like all teenagers in movies are slightly irritating. You can't wait for them to die, really. Yeah, yeah. But these, yeah, these guys are definitely not like that. I think the filmmaker, David Robert Mitchell... He's definitely going for just laid back guys hanging out kind of atmosphere with the teen group of friends rather than some kind of, uh, you know, that kind of high school snarky thing. Yeah. I couldn't quite decide whether the script was kind of admirably stripped down or whether it was just kind of bland and like a bit dull. It was, you know, when the characters chat to each other, they really are not saying I think what um, sort of carried me along the most was the, the concept is very cool and simple and instantly makes you think, what would I do? Yeah, definitely, yeah. And because it's such a, not really relatable, but understandable premise, you know, you understand what's tracking them down and how the rules of the game Yeah, you work. grasp it and the film and is not going to cheat you. And, yeah, 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 exactly. So it's sort of fun and, like, there's an interesting post-film conversation to have. Like, how the hell do you, how, how would you, you know, stop it following you? Yeah. I think that the way that the film portrays the kind of someone's walking towards you, like, that's really, really well done. And there's a lot of... It's sort of, when you're watching the movie, it kind of trains you to be constantly scanning the uh, backgrounds and being like, is there someone walking towards us? Yeah, and it's... uh... There's some some quite impressive, like, um, 360-degree pans that occasionally uh, are used in the film. (laughs) There's a lot of sort of, like, cool sort of, like... Um, well choreographed panning and stuff if done poorly that could instantly that could be so funny like the the villain is the person who walks slowly towards somebody <laughs> it'd be <laughs> yeah. like the happening it's like the wind is chasing them yeah 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 um we've got a, a bit of correspondence on this from mike mantin um he says i saw it follows as part of the screen unseen events at the odeon where you buy a preview ticket to a movie but don't find out what it is until it starts playing i haven't heard about this but it sounds pretty cool yeah. did you know about this no hmm. I thought it was a decent but unremarkable horror film that's almost made worth it entirely by the amazing 1880s John Carpenter-style synth score. But judging by the amount of walkouts and the couple who went back up to the counter to tell the staff it was shit, not everyone shared that opinion. Like those people have really not got on board with the concept of that. <laughs> I, guess, I guess you're more likely to get walkouts in the screen unseen because people yeah. are going and they're hoping to see the second best exotic American hotel and they've got to see this 80s horror movie instead. 
But the screen that we saw seemed fairly appreciative. Yeah, right? and, it's got great uh, reviews across the board, really. Yeah, it's been very well received, generally. I, I, the score is really cool. Like, I did find it awesome. But at the same time, I wondered whether it made the film seem more like a pastiche than its own film. Because the rest of the movie is definitely doing... It's more than simply a uh, like riff on an 80s horror film. Especially because the, the period in which the movie is set is left um, ambiguous. Like They all watch really old movies for some reason. They have these old cathode ray tube TVs and they don't use mobile phones. And It's in this kind of nowhere time, but the score is in the 80s. Yeah. Like, I think I liked it more than Mike did, but I can see what he means. It's definitely, it's, it's, you know, it's a decent genre film. Yeah, definitely. Another correspondence from big fan, Carl Skilton. Mm-hmm. He's a big fan of us. I'm a big fan of him. Um... <laughs> What I enjoyed most about It Follows is the originality of the STD horror idea, which is great at creating a pervading sense of menace for the first hour or so, and meant that I was constantly checking the entire frame for a glimpse of a slow walker. However, I think it runs out of steam in the third act, and it becomes a little dull. It's also worth pointing out the cinematography is excellent, and the soundtrack is ace. Everyone loves the soundtrack. Mm. It seems to be the big takeaway from this film. Yeah. Anyway, Sam, we were talking about this when we saw the movie. How do you escape... If if I uh, yeah, if, like if I fucked thing. you and I was like, hey, someone's gonna start following you, what would you do? Um, so That's... there's there's two approaches, right? Yeah. So you can you can take two approaches to get rid of the monster. First of all, you have to pass it on to someone who is going to be absolutely expert at staying away from the monster, <laughs> yeah. or who will themselves pass it on to you know someone else who will be like that. Yeah. Or you've got to work out a way to like trap or kill the monster. Yeah. Right. And and leave the curse on yourself. Well, I was thinking, right? So you get you have sex with somebody and they fly to. Whatever is the furthest distance from the point you're at. Yeah, like, they go to Easter Island yeah, or something. They stay there for, like, three months. The guy shows up. They fuck somebody else, fly back somewhere. <laughs> okay? But I was thinking, like, that's going to take a lot of organization and, you know, time and money and expense. So what I could do is just fuck a billionaire. It's the first thing I do. Okay. And get him to deal with it. Oh, that's a Give good idea. Give him that plan. He's got the resources. You've got the resources, right? Yeah. So just fuck so a billionaire. So you fuck Christian Grey. I fuck Christian Grey. And get him to sort it out. Yeah. My other plan, fuck an astronaut. Right, yeah. yeah. Good idea. Going to space, what's the walker going to do? Maybe it would have just be waiting there for the guy to come back I think space? it would just be... It, it walks all the time, right? It's always yeah. walking. So I think it would just be walking on the spot directly <laughs> where, the, where the space station was. Just looking up. My other idea, this is like get rid of the curse permanently, right? You want to have sex with somebody who would avoid it and would live longer than you. So even if they died with it, it would be passed down, but you'd be dead, right? Oh, I see, yeah. So yeah, yeah, I yeah. figured... So what, big, big age gap. What could what lives for ages, what would avoid the thing, you know, what doesn't live on land, fuck a blue whale. <laughs> they live for like 80 years. I think the lifespan thing is kind of irrelevant because how is this monster going to kill? But, I mean, first of all, it avoids the water, right? Yeah. So I think if you fuck any water-dwelling creature, you do, you're doing pretty well. <laughs> yeah, but... <laughs> it doesn't usually go in there. Yeah, but like, there's... But if you... You gotta fuck them with a lot, because if you fucked like a shark and it died like a year later, it would right. come back to you, <laughs> right? So you wanna sex with something that either procreates a lot or lives a long time. Yeah, the film didn't really explore the possibility of whether <laughs> the the creature would kill an animal if you fucked it. Yeah, yeah. we didn't really see that happen. That's maybe that's the sequel. What does a dog see? You know, <laughs> scary looking dog walking towards it really slowly. Yeah. Well, what I thought might happen. Well, I thought it probably wouldn't happen in the movie, but what I thought they might discuss doing because. One of the other mechanics in the film, for those who haven't seen it, is that whoever has previously had the curse can see the creature. Yeah. So I thought maybe they would have a kind of orgy. Yeah. Like, you know, there's that movie Cherry Falls where there's yeah, some yeah, yeah, yeah. virgins, they'll have to have sex with each other. Classic film. So I thought it'd be like that. They'd, they'd, all, they'd all have sex with each other and then they'd all be able to see the monster together and, you know, tackle it. 
but that didn't really happen. The other, the other thing that we discussed, one final thing, is what if you have sex with a dead person? How will the creature kill the dead person? It's already, they're dead. Yes. It'd be just confused. It'd be like, huh? What was it? A dead blue whale. <laughs> <laughs> the perfect. Yeah. You know what I would like to see? I would like to see a bit where a guy, like, he jerks off into a sock and then the creature <laughs> destroys the sock. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that's, okay. A, that's enough well, of that. Exhausted it follows. I got very sick. Sam's opinions. Sam's opinions. So, Sam, tell me about the film Catch Me Daddy. Go. Okay, Catch Me Daddy is a indie British thriller film, which uh, is the debut of Daniel and Matthew Wolfe. They're best known um, probably for the video Time Time to Dance by the Shoes, where Jake Gyllenhaal uh, is in Shoreditch and he's killing a whole bunch of hipsters. Yeah. And uh, yeah, they've made this kind of really stripped down, stylized sort of Western chase film. It's a bit like uh, The Searchers, except set in Yorkshire and, and about an honour killing. Um, the plot is uh, there's a girl called Leila who's played by a newcomer who's really fantastic in it. She's called Samina Jabin Ahmed. She's a Pakistani teenager and she's run away with this Scottish uh, boy and they're living together in a caravan, um, extremely poor, and they're kind of like hiding out there and a bunch of other characters are introduced at the beginning of the film and you kind of gradually realise that this is a group of people who've been hired by her father to track her down and bring her back. Um, wow. That's a premise. Yeah, it's a cool, it's a cool sounding premise. And so at the beginning, it sort of starts quite slowly, and there's these bunch of different people, and you don't really understand, you know, what's going on. There's these little scenes where not a lot happen, not a lot happens, and it gradually coalesces into the tension is gradually ramped up, and shit gets real. Yeah, and uh, it gets super exciting. And the thing that the film does best is probably um, creating tension and then keeping it. Yeah. Once you sort of. When I was watching it, I was you kind of gradually. There's a sense of dread. It's kind of gradually building, and like so bad stuff is gonna happen. And then when bad stuff starts happening, then you pretty much. I was pretty much remained kind of pinned to my seat, kind of like sweating um, for most of the rest of the movie. And it it does that really really well. Um, and that, I was only slightly put off by the guy next to me, who is this like quite overweight <laughs> man, like chomping on snacks and like laughing throughout the film. It's really annoying. <laughs> Comic book guy. <laughs> yeah, I had this kind of like forty-year-old comic book guy next to me. I mean, there's a kind of strain of dark humor in the movie, but any moment that could have been like mildly kind of humorous in this really black way, he just laughed out loud. I was like, "Are you not being traumatized by this film right now?" Yeah, yeah. So anyway, sorry. <laughs> Random cinema gripe <laughs> over. It kind of reminded me um, a little bit of um, Shane Meadows. It's a bit like Dead Man's Shoes, which yeah. is another um, Western-like film. Yeah, um, it's all genre set, film. Setting. It's like a genre film. It's like a film where it's like in that space between like stylized genre film and a kind of gritty, gritty British kitchen sink yeah. type movie. Yeah, you I know, know what I mean? It's also been compared to um, Cleo Barnard, who uh, made The Selfish Giant, a film I haven't seen, and like Lynn Ramsey, who made We Need to Talk About Kevin, which is uh, another kind of creeping dread um you know, everyday life kind of film. <laughs> um, it's shot by this guy, Robbie Ryan, who um, yeah, you, you'd heard of, but I hadn't. She yeah. was all of Andrea Arnold's films. Right? Yeah, Andrea Arnold stuff. And he did uh, Ken Loach's last couple of movies. Oh, right. And okay. um, Ginger and Rosa. 
Oh, yeah. yeah. He's got a very distinctive style. Like, his thing is, like, mist. People coming out of mist and, oh, like, a sort of that's magical... That's thing. There's so much mist. Well, like, sort of well, people... a lot of mist at the beginning of the movie. Uh, like, natural lighting, but done in such a way which seems sort of poetic or... You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, sort yeah. Of somehow bridging the gap between realism and yeah, that's... something a bit more heightened. Yeah, well, that's very much what it's like. There's this kind of expressionist quality to it. And it does look very mystical. Yeah, Yorkshire takes on this kind of beautiful but forbidding um, atmosphere. And it yeah, it looks fantastic. It's really, really beautifully shot. And a lot of the movie um, takes place at night and it's like super dark. It's not like that kind of cinema night where, you know, someone's just shining a lamp and it's just like actually quite, you know, everything's yeah. really visible. It's like very, very dark. Um, and uh, yeah, it looks great. It's a really, really beautiful looking film. Um, film. Any, so there is it all unknowns? Um, no, there's... There's one um, recognisable face, which is the dad from Billy Elliot. Um, that guy. The, yeah, that guy, Gary Lewis. Um, he is part of the gang of people who's trying to track them down. Other than that, it's mostly unknowns, and uh, quite a few of them are non-actors as well, so they've gone for that kind of feeling of authenticity. Cool. But the main girl in it is really, really amazing. Um, at the beginning, she's sort of this sort of carefree, well, you know, with cares, but yeah. cheery young teen with, like, dyed hair and stuff, dancing about to Patti Smith and taking drugs, and then uh, as things get gradually worse and worse for her, you know, convinces as well as the, you know, under pressure, freaking out girl. Yeah. It gets incre- like it gets increasingly dark and, like, miserable, and it, it's leavened by a couple of moments which are kind of lighter, like when they're, they're running away and they get into a taxi, and the uh, taxi driver just spends half the, jo- the journey moaning about, you know, how his wife doesn't appreciate him and he's too busy and stuff <laughs> like that, where they're both, like, terrified for their lives. And, uh, that helps, but then that kind of fades away, and then like the last act of the movie is very, very harsh. So for those you know with weak or dispositions, so, take my mum to see it. Yeah, I, I don't think it's the film for your mum. It might be. Maybe it's the film to like convince her to see more movies like this. Yeah. No. Um, depends how much she likes Yorkshire, um, or you know, honor killings or honor killings. Yeah. <laughs> Like, I don't know if this is even really a criticism, but it's not a film that is going to offend the sensibilities of a UKIP voter, if you know what I mean. Yeah. It's like, it, it betrays the North as this uh, grim, impoverished, lawless, like, violent place. Yeah, it's the Wild these West. Kind of gangs of, like, Pakistani gangsters sort of roam around, like, murdering people, you know, with impunity or whatever. It's, it's not a... It's not a movie that will disturb an Islamophobe. You right. Know? I think that they might have been a bit like concerned about that, and so two of the thugs are these like hired white guys, one of whom is Gary Lewis, um, and the the most unpleasant character in the film is like the sort of other white thugs, like the sort of bouncer type guy. I don't know. I mean, we're saying it's not authentic or that you know the, these things don't exist or whatever. And obviously, you know, honor kings are a real thing, but yeah, just an just an observation. I know what you mean. Um, and also the the ending is it's effective, but it also seems kind of like they weren't quite sure, like they weren't entirely sure how to dramatically end the film. It just sort of like crescendos and ends. There's there's not a real sense of dramatic closure to it. Sure. And that is that. So I mean, I I would recommend it. Like, it's very very well made and it's um very good at what it um what it does. Uh, but I but don't get to see it if you uh, aren't prepared to have you know two hours of extreme tension and unpleasantness. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds like a perfect day movie. Yeah, I would say so. And now for Danny to review a film he recently saw. Was it staggeringly brilliant? Was it oscar-jingly poor? How did Danny form a judgment? We're about to hear his thoughts. If he does a rubbish job, then Sam will tell him off.
So, the second best exotic Marigold Hotel. Everyone's been waiting to hear what we thought of the second best exotic oh, Marigold so Hotel. Oh, so exciting. So I took my dear old mum, or maybe she took me. She paid, so. <laughs> so she took you. She took me. See this? Uh, the plot, such as it is. So a bunch of old people living in a hotel in India. They are played by a gallery of British fesps, including Judy Dench, Maggie Smith and Bill Nye, among many others. Uh, the hotel is so successful that the hotel owner, Sonny, played by Dev Patel, wants to expand it, form a chain. To do so, he needs the help of some American backers. The American backers are keen, but they tell Sonny they're going to send a hotel inspector. And in a plot development, which is completely ripping off an episode of 40 Towers, <laughs> Richard Gere shows up and Sonny desperately tries to impress him. Meanwhile, everyone has their own storylines, which are all uh, backdropped by the preparations for Sonny's wedding to his fiancée, whose role is so insubstantial I've forgotten her name. <laughs> So basically, there's wedding plans are going on, which culminates in the wedding, which is the sort of through line. Why are these old British people living in an Indian hotel? I haven't seen the first one. Yeah, so we don't know. But I think it's the idea you sort of export your elderly. It's your money reaches further in India. Oh, I see. You can spend your twilight years in a beautiful, exotic country rather than... So it's like so it's like Faulty Towers, and they're all the majors. (laughs) Dev Patel's John Cleese. There's like seven the majors, and Richard Gere... (laughs) Is, uh, is Bernard Cribbins or Cribbins, yeah. where his name is? I don't know. Yeah. So, this is possibly the least surprising film ever made. <laughs> <laughs> it's exactly the film you think it's going to be, and it's exactly the film you imagine the filmmakers were saying out to make. Like warm-hearted. Warm. It's so gentle. Yeah, it barely gentle. exists. It's kind of remarkable how there are so many plot lines, and everybody gets their moment. You know, it's all sort of quite evenly spread out. It's like the but, Avengers. Of but so. it's so insubstantial because there are just no dramatic stakes whatsoever. The big thing is like, am I going to build a second hotel? It's like, you've already got one hotel. I mean, <laughs> what's the big deal if you don't get a second hotel? And due to the like the ensemble cast and the sort of slightly episodic nature, it feels like you're watching the final episode in a series that like a Sunday night drama... Like, call the midwife about the abortions or uh, childbirth. Just the gentle characters hanging out. None of the actual drama. Call the wife. Call, call the wife. <laughs> right, it's like you watching Call the Wife. Call the old Indian wife. Yeah. So, uh, the script is a little ropey, I must say. And t- there's a tendency for an incredibly gentle comedic scene to be followed a couple of weeks after by the characters talking about that comedic scene. Right. Like, remember that time where this guy fought this? It was like, it wasn't even funny the first time, old people. <laughs> Quit repeating yourselves. Same minutes for an audience with a short memory. <laughs> perhaps, perhaps. They need to remind you about what just happened. And uh, certain plot lines are sort of started and sort of forgotten about for large waves of movement and picked up and then like sort of half resolved. And it's a little messy. And, and also it keeps many of the characters apart. For a, They've all got like solo um, storylines. Yeah. Which is a bit of a shame because the kind of success of the movie is you've got all these cool actors. Yeah. And when they're together, the movie's much more successful than when they're apart. But for large parts of the movie, they're apart. And uh, there's definitely a sense you get the films a lot more fun to make. You know, imagine, you know, they're all having a great time living in India, discussing uh, all the plays they were in. And that's all such legends. Yeah. And it doesn't really... It's one of those movies where you feel like the actors were attracted by an exotic location, like Grown Ups or... Um, yeah, exactly. Like Michael Caine making Jaws 4. Yeah, open the know. page, Hawaii, I'll do it. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah, it's also a shame that there isn't more comedic bite to the script because you got, like, some amazing comedy actors in there. And uh, but I think it really is like it's the acting that makes the film. And there's quite a su- uh, self-aware line in the movie where Sonny asks the Richard Gere character what he thinks of the hotel. And Richard Gere's character says, says something along the lines of it's poorly run and it shouldn't work, but does so because of the huge reservoir of affection you inspire in your uh, guests, which is pretty much what the movie is. It's Doing just coasting. It just kind of knowing. Yeah. Nod to the- <laughs> 
but don't you like these actors? Yeah. And that's pretty much the uh, the movie. So it's just sort of uh, quite charming to spend time with these these kind of characters. Bill Nye is particularly great in it. I love Bill Nye. He's doing the most Bill Nye performance I've ever seen. Every performance Bill Nye does is a comic masterpiece, whether he's <laughs> in a serious role or not. Yeah, he's just sort of, you know, in India, he's, you know, he loves Judy Dench, but she's a bit sort he, of... He's you know, doing a sort of British Walken. Like, British Christopher Walken. Well, isn't that what Bill, Bill Nye is? is? Yeah. Bill Nye is the British Walken, surely. Uh, yeah, I guess maybe he is. On the flip side, uh, Richard Gere was a bit of a problem for me. I have a bit of a problem with Richard Gere, and uh, I don't like him in films. He's really smug. And, and He's not like... really good at acting, right? He only does one thing in movies, <laughs> and that's being bad in films. It just sort of turns up and like sighs and blinks and sighs. It's like, <sighs> yeah. And every time Bill Nye showed up, I was like, "Well, hey, Bill Nye," and then Richard, oh god, here we go. And he's got this sort of quite annoying subplot with uh, he fancies Dev Patel's mum. Right, okay. And, uh, Not the actor Dev Patel's mum. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah, like, the whole cast is for, like, super charismatic British acting legends. And you imagine they're friends in real life. There's a lot of, you know, it gets passed and a lot of, like, you know, they're just playing themselves. Yeah. And it's like, why is Richard Gere here, you know? They just sort of, like, turns up. And I know he's supposed to be, like, a sort of the American. But couldn't they have got, like, a more charming American? Should have got Christopher Plummer or somebody, you know? Yeah. That, that would have been, been great. great. That would have been amazing. He would really fit in as well. Yeah, exactly. Super yeah. old. He's super charming. Yeah. Yeah, so basically... It's the film you exactly think it is. It's I've kind of completely forgotten what happened in it. <laughs> I saw it 24 hours ago. I don't remember anything. It's quite a good dance scene at the end. How? I like dance scenes in movies, which aren't dance movies. Yeah. Or musical numbers in films, which aren't musicals. Does Dev Patel have a thing where all his movies have to end with a dance sequence? I think that's his that contract. That happens in Slumdog Millionaire, right? <laughs> yeah. That ends with a dance scene. Dev Patel is really good in this movie. His role is like really cliched, and like his shtick is basically he's like says 20 words and one will do. Yeah. But he's just so likable and full of energy. He really like gives it his all. It's like, that is a performance that could easily be annoying. Um, but why take my opinion when you can take the opinion of the kind of audience member this film is targeted towards? The Grey Pound, is, which incidentally is a nickname I give my mother. You've called her the Grey Pound. The Great Pound. She loves grape. She, she, she loves grapes. <laughs> <laughs> that woman is a grape hound. <laughs> anyway, let's hear what my mother thinks. So, mother, how are you? I'm very good, thank you. Uh, did you enjoy the film? I did enjoy the film. What did you like about the film? I liked the music. I like all the famous characters that are in it, all the famous actors in it. In it. They are British best, really. Mm-hmm. Dame Judy and co, Dame Maggie. Very good. What do you think of Richard Gere? Richard Gere was good. He's very charming. Do you think? Yeah, I do. I think he was charming and engaging. Okay. Is it better than the first one? No, I don't think it is. I preferred the first one. So in many ways it's a self-reviewing film. Indeed it is. It's the second best, second best exotic marigold hotel. Thank you, Dick. Excellent. Anything else you want to say? No. So my mother thinks Richard Gere was charming and engaging. She's very articulate. I think she should replace you. Is there any way that you can get your mum to come and uh, be here instead of you? Yeah, I think she'd jump at the Can we just trial her for one week? It'd just be me and your mum. I don't know, she doesn't really like films. That could be a drawback. I think it'd be alright. <laughs> She'd only want to re- review films which, you know, like the second best exotic Marigold Hotel. Yeah, well... You'd have to do, like, a lot of the heavy lifting watching the films. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> she would not see the two films we've also reviewed. Well, I just bounce off her, you know? Yeah. I, you know, I get her input. You know, me and you are very similar in a lot of ways, and I think that your mum would bring a kind of fresh approach. Can't you leave and my mum can take your place? What about... My mum takes my place and your mum takes your place. Raised by MILFs. It's finally <laughs> happening. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Throwback to... We uh, we raised 
sylphs. I don't know. <laughs> we raise sylphs. <laughs> New podcast. <laughs> Yesterday I bumped into Imelda Staunton She was up with her dog and we got talking I asked her what she does when she isn't acting She said she likes podcasts for relaxing Imelda, when you're in the mood What do you listen to? She said I listen to one podcast I listen to one podcast All the other ones can kiss my ass It's I listen to one podcast Film chat, film chat, film chat, film chat, um, so, so Danny pointed me towards a series of YouTube videos called Film vs. Film, where a bunch of film uh, men sit around and discuss topic dear to their hearts. It's a very sort of nerdy pub chat kind of atmosphere. Precisely. You were suggesting, right, that we come up with similar things. Yeah, one of the videos is each of the uh, the men, of the Film vs. Film men. What do you call uh, men? What do you call men? Pitch their idea for a film festival. So me and Sam have gone away. We've got to think of a very specific theme for the films you've got to program. And we're going to pitch each other our festivals. Yeah. So mine was inspired by Lucky Number Eleven. It's the film of the week. I keep mentioning it. <laughs> and one of the reasons I'm very fond of the film, other than its like in- incessant dumbness, is the fact that the, the title's really weird. <laughs> <laughs> Slevin is not a number, right? It sounds a bit like a number, the number seven, but it's not a number. And it's the name. It's the name of the main character. He's called Slevin, but it's also not a name. <laughs> is that his first name it's, or his last name? That's his first name. And then it's his name is Slevin. His name is Slevin. That's he's, that's how we introduce him. It's like, hi, I'm Slevin. How's it going? And it's revealed in the movie that is the name of a horse. But that really just kicks the can down the road <laughs> because someone had to give the horse that name. And why did they call it that? So, so it's very weird. Anyway, so the theme for my film festival is films whose titles make you go, huh? And you hear the title and you're like, for one reason or another, you have to, you have to sort of think again or like, you're kind of thinking like, what? Like, what's the deal? Like, <laughs> yeah. why'd they call it that? Either like, what could the plot be? Or like, why was that like a film? You know, what does that mean? Is it just grammatically confusing? That yeah. kind of thing. Okay. So it's going to start with Lucky Number Eleven because yeah. um, it's, first of all, it's one of the best films ever made. And it's also the inspiration for the festival theme. The second sure. film is Bangkok Dangerous. <laughs> it's, it's not clear it's just not clear what that's Bangkok a person well, is it the place you know it sounds like they were going to call it dangerous Bangkok because <laughs> Bangkok is a place and dangerous is an adjective right but then they've made dangerous like a kind of noun type word it's like Bangkok Yoda's is the adjective it. yeah <laughs> yeah Bangkok dangerous why shouldn't I go there Bangkok dangerous oh I see so that's just weird this is a weird title yeah. also it's got a hilariously bad poster yeah um, which is another reason uh, for people to go see it Okay, after we've seen those two very silly films, I think we should see a good film. Mm. So the third film is Inglorious Bastards, which isn't the most ridiculous title, but when you see it written down, it, it first of all, the word Inglorious is itself unusual, and then it's spelled in this like strange way in the title of the movie. And I wanted to have a like legitimately good film sure. <laughs> in my festival. So you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's also not clear when you watch the movie why they are called that. Yeah. Who decided like who came up with that name? Were well, they all just fans of like the same movie that Tarantino was when he named his film? Mental. Okay, the next film is a famously weird film title. Um, it's a dance film. It's a break dancing film sequel. Break into Electric Boogaloo. Break into Electric Boogaloo. Break into Electric Boogaloo. 
<laughs> do you want me to break into Electric Boogaloo? Yeah. Or do I break into this place called like, Electric no, Boogaloo? It's like, that, it's like that reggae song. I'm going to break into Electric Boogaloo. <laughs> <laughs> break into Electric Boogaloo. Yeah, exactly. I'm pretty sure that's rocked down to Electric Avenue. Yeah, mate. Um, <laughs> I suggest you listen to it again. I'm pretty sure it's Electric Boogaloo. Okay. Okay, um, I've got a couple more. Yeah. The next one is Mars Needs Moms. <laughs> Mars Needs Moms. Mars Needs Moms. Why? Why do they, what do they so, need? So, so Mars is populated, right? First of all, one, <laughs> Mars is populated. The, the title suggests that Mars is like the species, you know, yeah. there's living creatures, but for some, they don't have any mothers there. What? <laughs> That's it. I mean, intrinsic, right? You're gonna, you're, with no mothers, you're going to get through a maximum of one generation. Yeah. You need mothers to carry on. Certainly. So that's that's very odd. Okay, and for the last slot, i got two possibilities. I'm not sure which one to go for. It's another sort of maybe arguably borderline cases. One of them is Star Trek Into Darkness. The reason I choose this is because is that a sentence or is <laughs> Into Darkness just like... A standalone subtitle phrase. Star Trek Into Darkness. Yeah, because the way that the film was written, there was no punctuation. It's not like a colon. It's just Star Trek Into Darkness, and it launched this ridiculously long debate on Wikipedia over whether the eye of Into should be capitalized or not. Because yeah. in the Wikipedia style guide, that kind of um, word, like sort of common word like Into, should be lowercase. But people right. were arguing that it's not a phrase Star Trek Into Darkness because that's totally meaningless. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, Trek Into Darkness, yeah, but Star Trek, like, what does that mean? So, um, so yeah, and that made a lot of people go, huh. Yeah. So it fits my thing. That's the other one is. was like a film that's not yet out, so it's, you know, it's got to be programmed for the future, but it's um, Terminator Jenny Sis. Oh, yeah, yeah. Jenny Sis spelled G-E-N-I-S-Y-S. Like, it's just it's like they can't spell the, you know, the common word Genesis. Yeah. So that's weird. That is weird. Right. Well, excellent work, Sam. Thanks. My uh, my film what festival. Yeah, okay. Uh, I don't know exactly how to phrase this, but all the films have to be uh, starring an actor who won an Oscar for the previous film they made before <laughs> this film was released. Okay. For example, Halle Berry won for, uh, won for Monster's Ball. Yeah. The next film released after Monster's Ball was Die Another Day. So Die Another Day could be in my festival. Okay. So... There's a lot of great movies, right? So, obviously, opening night, Jamie Foxx starring in Stealth. That yeah. movie about, uh, like, an artificial plane that's struck by lightning goes nuts, tries to kill everybody. Yeah, they build... It's quite timely. It's like a drone, right? Yeah, yeah, that's right, yeah. They, they, you know, they ahead build of time. a fancy fighter plane, it gets hit by lightning, and it becomes alive, and it tries to kill them. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a pretty film. Yeah. Follow that with a screening of National Treasure 2 Book of Secrets, starring Helen Mirren, Hoff of her win for The Queen. Oh, what a great, what a great choice. Fantastic. <laughs> and then uh, straight into The Green Hornet, which is the film Christoph Waltz made right after Inglourious Bastards. Excellent. Cashing yeah. in somewhat. Also a universally critically acclaimed film. Everyone loves that movie. Uh, follow that with, of course, No Strings Attached, Natalie Portman's <laughs> rom-com she made after Black Swan. Right, yeah. And uh, Cap of the Evening... Uh, Eddie Redmayne in Jupiter Ascending. Yes, excellent. Brilliant. Yeah, it's quite interesting how many films people make after their Oscar wins that are shit. I think it's. I will kill her. I think it's a thing where obviously these films get made years in advance or whatever, up to you know two years in advance, and maybe if an actor's got a bit of heat behind them, people just delay the release of something to, to uh, capitalize on the new cash of the actor. Yeah. You know? And also, I just think you know actors just need to work, and you know they just take any old shit. Yeah. Also. I think maybe if you spend a lot of time putting yourself into a really hard, dramatic role that 
you know, was like really taxing. Natalie Portman had to spend all that time learning how to do ballet. Yeah. And then you just want to do some of the dumbest shit where you just turn up, you know? Yeah. I remember seeing that and I was like, oh, Natalie Portman's just, you know, coasting or whatever. But I swear she made like, just made nothing but bad movies since. And she's coasting. She's still coasting. Yeah. It's fun to coast. Anyway, let's wrap this up. Okay, what would you rather go to see? A film festival where the titles make you go, huh? Or a film festival where an actor in the film just won an Oscar and has now made a shit film? Write and let us know. Write in and let us know. Or if you've got a crazy idea for your own film festival, write in and let us know that. Yeah. Or if you just had a really great meal, write in and let us know. (laughs) Or if you're a bit lonely, want to talk to somebody, just write in and let us know. (laughs) Okay, yeah, bye. Write in and let us know. Write in and let us know. Film Chat was written by Bruce Lee. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Directed by Lee Daniels, catering by Daniel Craig, costumes by Craig Charles, and acting by Charles Dance.